Happy Friday, and welcome to a new episode of This Week in Apps, a weekly no-fluff data first roundup of interesting news and trends about mobile apps and games. I'm Ariel from AppFigures, and I have five highlights for you today. Last week, I talked a lot about how Apple's new disclosure requirement and opt-in system for tracking would change the App Store. And this week, with iOS 14.5 in the wild, we can start to see what it's going to look like. According to our intelligence, nearly 10,000 apps and games have already enabled ATT and are requesting permission to track. Roughly 20% of the total is made up of games, which I feel is a little bit low, but expect both the total and the share of games to grow much higher in the coming days. I'm not surprised to see apps turning this on right away instead of stopping to track. Companies like McDonald's and Spotify and even data mongers like Facebook and TikTok have a big enough following that they just have to. But asking isn't the hard part. The real challenge is to get people to actually say yes. Based on a quick survey I ran on Twitter, which I will link to, In the show notes, a little more than half of respondents who saw an ATT prompt in the wild said they didn't allow tracking, which is exactly what I was talking about last week. Half is a big number. Losing half of inputs would break most models regardless of how good they are. So I then looked at just how these companies are explaining the need to track to their users. Apple lets you customize the prompt a tiny bit, and you can also have a pre-prompt. So I was hoping to see the kind of language Don Draper would write, but nope. I was shocked to see that most developers didn't even bother with their copy. For example, Duncan, Duncan Donuts, explanation for why they need to track you is, and this is quoted from their pop-up, your data will be used to deliver personalized ads to you. This is truly the equivalent of programmer art and should have no place in an app of this scale. As a user, do I really want to give my data, which is now kind of a nebulous term that's synonymous with privacy, to a company that sells coffee so they can serve me ads? I don't know about you. My answer is nope. And I'm in rambling territory now, but the apps that are trying, meaning they try to craft copy that works, and did design a pre-prompt to introduce the users to the concept of tracking like McDonald's, are doing things that Apple doesn't allow. And so I expect that over the next few weeks, maybe even month, Apple's going to go back to them and say, stop doing that. So are they even trying? I don't know. Fun fact, I used a website called attprompts.com to see screenshots of prompts from a whole bunch of apps. It's an initiative that started by a guy by the name of Sylvain. I'll link to his Twitter in the show notes um, and is now kind of a community effort. So definitely check it out to get some inspiration or to at least learn what not to do. And uh, if you can, contribute. That would be nice. I really, really, really love this initiative. So here's the bottom line. There's obviously a lot more to unpack here, and I'm going to spend some time understanding this and writing more about this outside of uh, the newsletter of the podcast. But it's pretty obvious as this will become critical to seeing success on the App Store if you need to track. Getting users to share their data is going to be a serious uphill battle. And Apple has a lot of restrictions around what you can do and what you can do and how to ask users and when to ask users. So I suspect developers are going to need to get really good at copywriting, which is not something I see often. And Long term, maybe this will be less of an issue because there's going to be more about it, the guides and such. Uh, But until we get there, those who can't do it, I'm pretty sure will suffer. If you are not sure what to do with your ATT prompt, uh, please hit me up on Twitter. I would much rather help you than see you put bad copy into the App Store. So please. Um, But let's get back to data. Enough with ATT. Uh, Mystery struck the App Store earlier in the week. An app by the name of WebWatcher climbed to the top of the U.S. charts quickly 
WebWatchers downloads exploded on Sunday night, going from just a couple hundred per day in the days before to about 30,000 on Sunday and more than 100,000 on Monday, according to our estimates. No one really knew why, because the app hasn't really been advertising and hasn't even been updated in over a year. Some concluded it was a scam, um, maybe. But then at about 11 p.m. Eastern time, WebWatcher was no more, gone poof, disappeared from the App Store. It made it all the way up to number two in the US chart and then completely gone. Now, Apple didn't really disclose that they took it down, but its abrupt disappearance can only be explained by that. So I suspect Apple didn't find what WebWatcher was doing, which means tracking pretty much everything that's happening on a device from text messages to calls and app usage and supposedly sending it to someone else. This isn't functionality you can get out of an iPhone easily, so WebWatcher must have gone about it in a way that didn't line up with what Apple liked. Now, why and how did WebWatcher even get to the top and so fast? It happened over the span of maybe 24 hours. And the answer is easy, TikTok. A video that mentioned WebWatcher went viral and caused this whole thing. And my takeaway here is that legitimate or not, this isn't the first time that an app exploded because it went viral on TikTok. We covered that in a, in a few episodes ago, I think back in February. So. I bet it's not going to be the last time. If you have an app and you really wanted to explode and go viral, figure out how to get TikTok into your campaign. Speaking of fast growth, Audible, the audiobook company that's now owned by Amazon, has seen its revenue skyrocket in the last few months. Unlike the Android app, which charges directly, the iOS app uses in-app purchases to monetize, which gives us insight into just how much money Audible is making from the App Store. According to our estimates, Net revenue has grown by a factor of 16, not 16%, 16x since the beginning of 2020. So net revenue, which is what I always look at, and it's after Apple takes its 30 or 15% cut, rose from around just about $500,000 per month in January 2020 to $7.5 million in March. And it's now at $8.3 million for April, and April is not even done. There are a few more days to go. Um, that's probably a drop in Amazon's big bucket of cash, but it's a proxy for just how much demand there is for audiobooks. I don't know how you feel about audiobooks. I still prefer physical books, but I'm starting to see I'm definitely in the minority. Now, I find this interesting because audio is growing in fast podcasts, which I've been talking about a lot, Clubhouse, which I've talked about more than once on this show before. They kind of confirm this, and audiobooks fit so naturally into this group. I used to think audio was better for when we're on the go and we're commuting from the office or back, um, and that being stuck at home would reduce demand for these sort of things. But I think being stuck at home, one, reduces social interaction, and two, gives us more time to the point where audio is becoming a lot more exciting of a medium to consume content. I think Andreessen saw this. Andreessen is the um, leading investor in Clubhouse, and that's why they capitalized on it so much and poured so much money into it. Whether that's going to hold now as things open up and people will go back to seeing other people in real life, I don't know. But that's something definitely interesting to keep an eye on. Switching gears a little bit is another SDK that's about to IPO. It's like every other week there's an SDK that's about to IPO. Mapbox is an SDK that replaces Google Maps on both iOS and Android. And it has announced its plan to IPO via a special purpose acquisition company, which everyone calls SPAC these days. Google and Apple both provide solutions for maps on their platform. So if you're a developer who wants to show maps in your app or in your game, you don't really need to go to a third party. And Google also has Google Maps, which goes across both platforms and is extremely popular. Can Mapbox really compete with those? I'm going to go with a maybe, a big question mark with a maybe. 
Right now, Mapbox is being used by nearly 16,000 iOS and Android apps, according to our SDK intelligence. And the list includes pretty big names. We got Facebook Messenger, Snapchat, Strava, Lyft, Peloton, uh, the Weather Channel, and really a whole slew of names you will probably recognize, but will take me too long to read. So that's a lot of big names, but my maybe still stands. Um, let's look at the pros and the cons. So on the pros list, it's cross-platform, and it doesn't require giving your data to Google. So that's a big plus. The second pro is that the company raised a ton of money, more than $330 million from pretty powerful investors that include SoftBank. And then the last pro is that it's already used by a whole bunch of big names. I mean, Snapchat, that's a huge name. Facebook, that's a huge name. But then on the con side, it competes with native solutions from Apple and Google. That's not easy. Even Apple needs to compete with Google for maps, and it's not really doing all that hot. So for a third party, it's going to be kind of difficult. Also, Mapbox costs money to implement, and it needs to cost money so they can actually make money and pay back the investors. But here's the one that I think is the most problematic. It actually relies on third parties, both free and paid, for its map data. So it's not even first-party data. And I think that's a big gamble if you're an investor and you are about to sink money into this. Now, it's not known by most developers, and we can see that if we look at the most installed mapping SDKs. Um, Google is number one, Apple is on that list very high, and Mapbox comes in at about 2% market share. Now, it's 2% that goes to those big names, so it's uh, kind of a big 2%, but that's not enough. 2% is a very small percent in the grand scheme of things. So a very small install base also means opportunity, but also means very difficult opportunity. I've been generally positive towards apps and services that IPO'd over the last year, but in this particular case, I'm really apprehensive. The cons, in my opinion, outweigh the pros enough that I think this IPO is more of an exit attempt for the investors than a real indication of success. And I have to say this, I'm not a financial advisor. I just analyze data. So this is not investment advice. Do what you think is best. Uh, but me personally, I just don't see the upside here. Hopefully they'll prove me wrong. Last and not least, I'm tying this to summer. Summer is right around the corner. And with many states here in the U.S. announcing their plans to fully reopen, vacations are on everyone's minds. Airbnb has been slowly making a comeback after losing nearly all of its downloads last year. And while its growth is slowly picking up, there is a competitor that's trying to outshine it. That's Verbo. I think that's how you say it. It has no E. V-R-B-O. A service that looks and feels almost identical to Airbnb. But download-wise... Verbo is giving Airbnb a good run for its money right now. According to our app intelligence, Verbo and Airbnb are so close in downloads in the U.S. Since the beginning of April 2020, so a year ago, Verbo added 9.5 million new mobile users across iOS and Android, and Airbnb added 10 million, so just a few hundred thousand. That's kind of a small difference. If we zoom in a little bit more and look at only 2021, the numbers start to skew more towards Verbo, who added 3.7 million versus Airbnb's 3.5. Why is this relevant? Imagine a world where Uber was the only app to get a ride. That might be ideal for Uber, but not for us riders. Having Lyft around keeps things competitive. Airbnb enjoy not having real competition for such a long time, and ultimately it's us users who suffer. Verbo is advertising heavily to get traction. I've seen them in a ton of YouTube videos and online, which isn't really all that scalable long-term, but if it can become sticky enough, Airbnb will have to do something to improve to compete to keep users coming and maybe put an end to all those horror stories of bad customer experiences that Airbnb does very little to solve. And that's it for this week. 
Hopefully you enjoyed the episode. If you did, please tell your friends about it and consider subscribing if you haven't. If you like the data behind all of these insights and want to see it for any app that I didn't talk about, head on to affigures.com slash intelligence to get it for yourself. That's it for me. Happy Friday. <laughs>